0: Three great words, free fries Friday, especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase. Valid one time on Fridays at participating. McDonald's through 1231.24. Excludes tax. Must update rewards.
1: Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Hello there, welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. This is one of our monthly roundtable chats uh, where we're going to talk about bikes, road and mountain bikes today. Um, with us we've got Jack Luke, who's one of our senior writers on Bike Radar. Good afternoon, Thomas. And we've also got Seb Stott, who is our resident tech geek on the Mountain Bike Tech Hub. Hello. As you can probably tell by now, they're both Scottish, so we've got a full Scottish contingent down here. Just making sure those diversity figures are truly met. Absolutely. So, um, coming up today in this podcast, we're going to have a a chat about a few different things. Uh, We're going to talk about why do all road bikes look the same, and then we're going to talk about why do all mountain bikes look completely different. Um, I think we're going to have a little chat about the crossover of mountain bike to road bike technology as well, and then we're going to have a look at the world of social media and cycling, what with the Tour de France coming up, and everyone jumping onto Instagram. Uh, So yeah, don't forget, uh, Bike rider podcast comes out every month, um, so you can like, subscribe, comment and all that, so make sure you do that uh, to make sure that you hear all of them. So, shall we crack on? Jack, you're a road cyclist, predominantly, um, jump onto the old mountain
0: bike now and again. Why do all the road bikes look exactly the same? Well, Tom... As it probably won't surprise you, the answer is more nuanced than I could have imagined. But with the release of the all new Scott Addict, the Cannondale Super 6, and other bikes of a similar ilk, it's hard not to draw comparisons with the likes of the Tarmac and much of BMC's lineup. As it currently stands, most do-all go-fast pew-pew road bikes seem to follow the same formula with your dropped seat stays, your drop-top tube, some form of funky, uh, buzz-reducing, compliance-improving technology, truncated aerofoil tubing for the aeros, and a ride which is claimed to be equally efficient and stiff. And this begs the question, why does everything look the same? (laughs) (laughs) And and
1: also what... answers. <laughs> <laughs> I just asked that question.
0: <laughs> and what do we need to do, or do we even need to break this mould? And to my mind, in its time, something like the triple triangle classic steel-framed tube uh, bike was the, uh, the very pinnacle of bicycle design. But with the advent of kind of modern composite manufacturing in the 90s, we kind of reached this point where we had tons and tons of innovation. We had all these crazy, crazy uh, models coming out and all these new ideas in cycling tech. But since then, fast forwarding to about 2010, with the release of the BMC team machine, things have kind of plateaued to that point. And if we look at the modern crop of bikes being released today, we are really seeing the same thing hashed out again and again.
1: So does that mean every current model road bike looks like a 2010 BMC team road machine?
0: Yes, Yes, or a tarmac. It's the or, or, tarmac. or you know a focus or anything similar. The kind of dropped seat stay, sloping top tube is just it's just everywhere now. Does
1: that also hark back to the release of the giant TCR, which was the first
0: compact? Yes, the TCR was the first to come to market with that dropped uh, top tube, and that has been more widely adopted across all bikes. But it's that particular shape now we're seeing with pretty much every new bike, which is irking both myself and many commenters who are keen to point out that they do look the same. Can I just ask, what is the definition of a drop top tube? So by a drop top tube, we mean in traditional road bikes, we would have a horizontal top tube. Mm. So it would be parallel to the ground. And with the release of the TCR way back when, by making a more compact frame, you could improve standover height or reduce standover height. Yeah. Also by essentially reducing the size of the frame there was big opportunities to reduce the weight of a bike overall yeah but
2: presumably that also by dropping the top tube down where it connects to the seat tube it means you have
0: effectively a longer seat post so you have more flex is that the idea this boy's a clever one yes that is indeed also one of the ideas uh, and improving comfort though that became more of a focus around 2010 a little bit later Improving comfort is obviously one of those advantages. Now, my initial suspicion with why we've reached this point was it was something to do with the Lugano Charter. And this was the Lugano Charter. And this was a 1996 accord by the UCI, which put a limit essentially on, on bicycle design.
1: This is a thing that limits the, the minimum weight. Um, exactly. And it's got things like the distance between the cranks and the bars and all that sort of jazz.
0: Totally. And it, it covers pretty much every possible aspect of bicycle design. Um, so, for example, the three to one ratio with the uh, tube profiles to make sure we're not creating essentially sales on wheels. All of that came from the Lugano charter. And since then, and it is quite wooly, the statement as a whole, since then, bikes have kind of reached this point now where they're working within the limitations of the Lugano charter. And my initial suspicion with this kind of new crop of bikes was that they've reached this point where they cannot possibly improve on them within the limitations of the charter. Now it's quite a well-intentioned document and I think there is merit to it and in its weirdly philosophical language and it's a really weird read. It is worth having a look at if you're into that sort of thing. We'll put a
1: link in the Bike Radar article which links to
0: this Lugano charter. Absolutely. The charter states that technology used is subordinate to the project itself. Wow. Which is quite philosophical for bicycle design, but it's essentially saying that there must exist a limit to how much a bike can help or assist a rider. So this is
2: basically saying that the UCI wanted it to be not about the technology, but about the athlete, about the rider. Exactly. And this was in the era that Graham Obery, yes, who, of course, we all learn about in school in Scotland. Yes, he is part of the uh, curriculum. <laughs> the main thing you learn in Scottish school. Um, <laughs> He So he was doing things with effectively really steep seat angles mm-hmm. and really stretched out positions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the UCI stepped in and said, nah, we don't want it to be about this. We want it to be a bike that looks like a bicycle mm-hmm. that you can buy and for it to be a bit more of a level playing field and less of
0: an engineering contest. Exactly. They were very keen to make sure that bicycle racing didn't become an arms race. And and that's that was the, the good intentions with that. But on speaking to a number of brands to find out why we have reached this point, and the most interesting answer came from BMC, who arguably kind of started this this trend. They claim that no, it has nothing to do with the Lugano Charter, which has really surprised me because mm. as a consumer, if you're looking at the current crop of bikes, you're gonna go, Well, they all look the same. Yeah. And, they, and as an outsider,
1: they do all look the same.
0: They do all look the same. And the only thing that differentiates them, and a good example would be the Scott Addict that was on the launch of that last month. Their kind of big selling point, yes, you know, it's still a lightweight, super stiff, go fast road bike, but it's their level of integration which they claim sets it apart. Mm. But really, with this current crop of bikes, that is all that sets them apart.
1: So what's BMC claiming if it isn't Lugano, what is it that makes them all look the so?
0: same now they're they're obviously going to take perhaps a more evangelical tact than some others, but they claim that the 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 formula that they arguably developed with its d shaped seat post, drop seat stays, sloping top tube, they claim that is to meet the modern design goals of a modern road bike, so lightness, comfort, aero ish qualities. this is as good as it gets mm-hmm. which is remarkable. Irrespective of what the UCI says Pretty much, yes yeah. So
1: they still have to create a bike that will fit within the UCI specs
0: Yes, of course mm-hmm. um, But within the general design goals of, a, of an all-round road bike They claim this is, this is going to be the pinnacle of road design Now, I'm sure they've got plenty of other things in the wings They're not going to give me all their juicy info But really, this is what they claim and it looks like road bikes are going to continue to all look the same for some time. So, so if so if the
2: UCI didn't set out these rules, would we be riding on much the same bikes? We'd be now, riding wouldn't... on TT bikes, like triathletes have, because Maybe. they don't—they're not subject to these UCI rules, and those bikes are bunkers. Yeah, but they're one-trick ponies, aren't they? They're—they're they're good at flat, smooth yeah. roads. They're not good at hills. They're not good at bumps. <laughs> so, you know, they're, they're one-trick ponies. Whereas if you want to go out on a road ride, like most of us do, you know, you're looking for something that's a bit more comfortable, both in terms of its position and its bump absorption. Mm. So maybe we would
0: end up with bikes that look much the same anyway. Yes, I think but that's... But I don't know. Maybe not. No, I think that's a very a fair assumption to make. And there's, I've got some... I'm working on this as part of a, a broader set of articles that will be on BikeRadar.com. But for the time being, you know, BMC's answer, I, with a pinch of salt, do sort of believe them. And I think, you know, you can probably draw comparisons with other sports. But really, it is still almost a triple triangle bike. And that did work very well for a very long time. Mm. So perhaps this is just the new era of road bike design. And it's how it's going to look. I'm going to challenge you, Jack. Next time you go on a road bike launch...
1: I want you to ask an engineer to tell you briefly what, if we, there weren't the UCI regulations, what the bike would look like. Would one. it be 700c wheels still? Would it still be the, that double triangle sort of design? But I, reckon, I reckon maybe some like head honcho engineer could have some pretty wacky ideas. Like we did with um, Seb's bike of the future, yes. which is a mountain bike, linkage forks, uh, quite an interesting thing. Should we, should we segue the opposite side <laughs> of the question? So... <laughs> As as sort of an oracle on mountain bikes, it, it
2: bike. makes a segue much less smooth if you if, if I you say it's a segue. say that I'm about to segue. Yeah,
1: but, <laughs> well, but, well, here's a segue then. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, mountain bikes all look different. Kind of. Uh, okay, let, let, if, let's if we narrow ourselves down to say let's just sort of talk about trail bikes, one twenty to one fifty mil trail bikes, because mountain biking is super yeah. broad. We've got everything from almost gravel bikes through to. You know, your car peels with double shocks of jumping off cliffs. Yeah. Trail bikes is what most people ride. They still all look very different despite all claiming to do the same thing.
2: Yeah, I suppose so. And um, I guess mountain bikes are kind of evolving really fast still. You know, I think road bikes, maybe they have kind of topped out almost an optimum design for what they're mm-hmm. designed for. But, but mountain bikes, you know, they started off as almost like road bikes, with similar sort of wheelbase, similar sort of head angle, seat angles. You know, they had the same seat angle as head angle because it looked nice. And now we're only, we've kind of realized over the last 20, 30 years that if you have a steeper seat angle, it'll go better uphill. If you have a slacker head angle, it'll go better downhill. You have a wider handlebar, short stem, longer wheelbase, bigger wheels, bigger tires. All these things have happened, you know, better suspension travel, better suspension designs. Um... You Know so th- there's been a lot of development that's happened, and, and maybe there's just more parameters with mountain bikes. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got front and rear suspension, you, you know, and they have all sorts of parameters with them, um, wheel size, tyre size, all this. And I guess it's less constrained by by rules. You know, you can use, I think we still have to do mountain bikes
1: still have to comply. Are these UCI, these Lugano mm-hmm. rules, are they across mountain bike competition for uh, cycling competition? Full stop, no, I think they're just at because the, the lower weight limit does apply to mountain bikes i'm pretty sure
0: does it yeah well that's something i couldn't possibly comment on but the yeah. idea of a 6.8 kilo cross country <laughs> bike is nonetheless quite it's tempting terrifying <laughs> yeah.
1: tempting terrifying one of the two
0: yeah yeah so so maybe it's
2: just you know mm-hmm. that they um they they're still evolving quite quickly i think and it hasn't slowed started to slow down yet i think the progression from year to year is as fast as mm. it ever was um I think in certain areas they have started to converge. Like for example, uh, specialized held the the FSR patent, which so is a is a what's called a four-bar linkage. So the the rear axle is connected to the mainframe via basically two long links, mm. instead of being a single pivot style design. And then that that pivot that sorry that patent ran out a few years ago, and since then that horse link design that four bar design has 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 become really popular you know Um, there's
1: companies which have been banging on about like a linkage actuated single pivot and then as soon as that
2: patent expired oh wait no 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 the horse link (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah exactly um so i guess that's that's become you know more common Mm -hmm. and, and i guess that's something that's almost ubiquitous but you know there's still brands with single pivots there's still still brands with linkage single pivots and actually a lot of them function very much the same or you know Mm -hmm. um i think the fsr design maybe just has more marketing behind it and so that's why it's become so popular Mm -hmm. um i guess we are seeing things start to shoot off in other directions with um high pivot and idler bikes um or you know linkage forks are becoming more prevalent now from trust, performance, motion—we've we've talked about this in our mountain bike tech, tech podcast. Um, so linkage forks use kind of pivots and bearings and links instead of a telescoping um, fork. Mm-hmm. So, which is a very new way of, of doing it. it it's been—it's tri- been done on motorbikes and it's been tried on bicycles occasionally. But it seems like recently we've had a, a recent kind of uh, resurgence of interest in that area. Perhaps because bikes kind of are getting towards that point where suspension forks are really good and they're probably not going to get that much better. So maybe, you know, th- th- when it's kind of becomes, the technology has become saturated because it's so good, people are starting to look in different areas. Um, but I do feel like in some areas, you know, bikes things are going to... standardizing. Things, things are starting to converge a little bit. Where do you
0: think that's going to end up? you know you're wizened to the needs of most forms of mountain bike riding where do you see these technologies converging and what's going to be the end point in your mind i mean obviously you're very much out on the fringes as a long bike evangelist but <laughs> <laughs> evangelist
2: you're you're an evangelist about the pronunciation of evangelist Evan- yes <laughs> um i don't know it's hard to say um i think i think the the trend towards longer wheelbases is something that a lot of people have described as a fashion as if it's kind of cyclical as as if it'll come back um i really don't think it will come back i think it will slow down and a lot of bikes at the fringe as we me and tom have debated before will not suit everybody but i think we're not going to go back to like 70 degree head angles and and you know in those days are passes aren't they yeah, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I, you, I guess you know? those things that you know it is
1: measurably better to have a slacker head angle in, yeah. to it to an extent
0: that sort of
2: thing. Yeah, and not just for going faster. Like I can't remember the last time I went over the handlebars. Mm. Oh
0: right, someone's a rock star <laughs> over here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not a brag because you know the bike. I can't so much remember better. either. To be I mean, totally uh, honest. yeah. Like, it used to be a, a fact of life, like, every, almost every time you went mountain biking. Mm. You, you'd you go down a steep hole, there'd be a rock at the bottom that you weren't expecting, and you'd be like, oh, I'm going to go over the handlebars
0: now. That sounds much like my uh, cross-country racing exploits, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, There's <laughs> some, some good
1: photos of you yeah, coming up. Yeah. We'll put one of
0: those in the story as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah we yeah, can yeah.
2: have that as a thumbnail for the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, it's because you know cross-country geometry is is still with that long stem, steep head angle, short wheelbase, and it makes it harder to not crash, which means you ride slower, hmm. or you crash more, or a bit of both. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's pretty. It's pretty hard to argue that that's that not, that's not a positive development hmm. in my opinion.
1: think you could have sort of like a slightly closed. Closed-eye sort of generalisation then between mountain bikes and road bikes. Of road bikes all looking the same, and mountain bikes all looking different. Mountain biking is incredibly varied, as we sort of said. You know, there's loads of different types. But even within trail riding, you know, there's different styles, there's different surfaces, there's different. You know, you need a bike that's very sort of adaptable. Whereas, if you put me on a road in England, and put me on a road in Australia, a road bike, a road feels like a road doesn't it? A road bike needs to do one job very, very well effectively, and that's go on tarmac.
0: Fast,
2: fast. Yeah, I guess, yeah, there's less variation in riding style. mm -hmm. Most road cyclists will look much the same on a road bike. They'll adopt the same sort of position. Mm -hmm. Maybe they'll have slightly different cadences and things, but they're basically looking for the same thing. Whereas mountain bikers ride very different types of terrain in very different ways. And quite often the, the, the brands will reflect the kind of riding that that company does like so like yeti for example uh, based in colorado they ride quite a lot of sort of steep rocky terrain with steep climbs and so they've got light stiff efficient suspension um bikes that can you know go uphill really really well because that's that's where they live uh whereas like orange based in the uk were you know designing bikes to be low maintenance and to have loads of mud clearance because they're designed for the uk riding so um, yeah, there's kind of massive geographic differences uh, between between mountain bikes because there's so much variation in what mountain biking is to different
0: people, I suppose. To go back to your point then, I guess it gives strength to someone like BMC's argument when, yes, you are right, apart from it being hotter in Australia, the riding is all largely the same. So maybe mm-hmm. we really have reached this kind of absolute pinnacle of bike design on the road.
1: Plateaued a little bit and, and now marginal gains. You know, dimpled this and trips that and all that sort of jazz. <laughs> I've done aero stuff. <clears throat> I know what I'm talking about. Um, right. I think that'll probably do for that, aren't you? Yes. Uh, you're listening to the Bike Radar Podcast. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk about social media and cycling because sort of France and everyone likes it to bangers. Uh, but first, crossing over technology. So we've just been talking about the differences between road bikes and mountain bikes. We've touched on suspension design, wheels, all that sort of stuff. I reckon back in the day when mountain biking was new, there's a lot of technology borrowed from road bikes brought onto mountain bikes. I'm saying that pretty spuriously. I've got no research or evidence for any of this, but I'm saying it. (laughs) I reckon in 2020, 2019, 2018, past few years, mountain bike tech is becoming more and more prevalent on the road side of things. So is mountain biking now influencing road biking, or is road biking still very much its own thing with no input from the dirt. It is
0: absolutely influenced by mountain bikes now. In this era where, you know, alongside being a good all-round road machine, people are also more interested in a bikes all-around capability and lots of surfaces, we are seeing tons and tons and tons of tech poured over from mountain bikes to road bikes. And with good merit as well, you know, mountain bikes uh, are developing a much, much quicker pace, as Seb said, and there has been more innovation, arguably... In tech and road cycling is kind of playing catch up with that. Whether these developments would have been made independently, you know, you can't really say, but certainly they're looking to what's being done in mountain biking and they're obviously copying it now. A good, good couple of examples would be one by drive trains, ubiquitous now in mountain bikes, mm-hmm. but increasingly so in your gravel bikes, almost entirely on cross and in the fringe sense with the road. Tubeless technology. I mean, in years gone by, it would have been literally no riders would be riding on anything but tubulars at the Tour. But this year, we're seeing a not inconsiderable number of riders using tubeless or clincher tires. Really? Uh, yes. Uh, uh, not only the TT, but also for the road riding as right. well. There's been a few little hints here and there of mm-hmm. tubeless tech.
2: So what's the advantage of tubeless tire or
0: a clincher over
2: a tubular
0: uh, for lower, the road? Lower rolling resistance. They're just faster that's that's absolutely a, f- a proven fact mm. the only reason they stick with tubulars, and it is with merit is they are much safer in the event of a crash and you can ride them still with it uh, going yeah, to the tire.
2: because the tire is glued to the rim so if you get if you get a puncture you're not the tire's not going to fall off the rim exactly and you're not going to have some yeah.
0: horrible catastrophic failure mm. so there is argument with that, but for something like a time trial But they're more aerodynamic aren't they, clinchers than tubulars, is that true? Yes, this is also something um, with the TTs they create a much better profile or it can Mm. mate better with an optimised rim profile, Mm. so yes um, clinchers can be more aerodynamic than tubulars but that's definitely one at a consumer level as well that is becoming increasingly popular, but the big one and I think this is going to be the next big thing we're going to see in road bikes who perhaps not to the same extremes as mountain bikes, but suspension. I
1: was hoping you were going to say that and not disc brakes, because, God, that debate.
0: <laughs> it's, it's done. It's done in dusting. Oh, they're, they're just better. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's, that's not a debate. Disc
0: brakes are better. Full stop. But sus- suspension. Suspension. Well, the, the analogy everyone draws is you would never buy a car for the road without suspension. And yeah. it's true. You know, there's advantages to be had with uh, being fast and being able to absorb, you know, bumps and lumps mm-hmm. on the road and we've seen some really interesting more for the lack of a better word passive suspension systems uh, coming out in the last month or so and the best example i can think of is the cannondale topstone okay, which yeah. uses this really funky kind of leaf spring arrangement at the back where it has a pivot close to the bottom bracket and then a pivot towards the top But the act there's no shock involved whatsoever the Chain and seat stays themselves, the way they're formed, act as a leaf spring. Mm-hmm. So you have this ultra lightweight, hmm. shock-absorbing.
1: Is that not just like a natural progression of all those bikes with the slim down seat tube, which are all always been said to give a little bit of
0: buzz damping? Yes, it is a natural progression, but it offers well tunability for one thing. Yeah, you can. It, I, by tunability, I mean tunability in terms of how the wheel will move. You can essentially change the wheel path, I guess, with the pivots. Now, you're not going to get damping with mm. what's what they've done, but arguably for a road bike, not quite as necessary if it, all it's designed to do is take the sting off of bumps. But even something like the uh, Trek's ISO speed, which isn't mm. technically suspension, but you know they're building in that compliance into frames or specialised future shock, which suspends the cockpit rather than the bike itself is still all technology which is clearly being ported to a point from mountain bikes over and and I think suspension is definitely going to be the next big one.
2: Yeah, you say that but but I mean that's quite innovative in itself that I mean that's not like the future shock for example is not copied from mountain bikes directly. I mean the concept of suspension obviously has been used on mountain bikes for a long time. But you know the future shock is a is a very different way of doing it to any mountain bike whereas you know with the mountain bike the suspension acts below the frame so that the frame is suspended uh, whereas the future shock the frame is it's a rigid frame you know and frame and fork is rigid and then the rider is suspended on that on that
0: fans of rubbish 90s mountain bike tech getting will be will be, uh, <laughs> f- will be getting upset yeah, about the grooves that's and, true and the that's old uh, URT rear triangle arguably sort of the same thing
1: oh, yeah as as a, a specialized event a few weeks ago, and I was chatting to one of their, well, their head suspension engineer. And I was chatting to him about the, on the sort of road gravel side, obviously you got Lauf, which have their leaf sprung suspension fork, which I'm a fan of, you know. But, um, and I've had this discussion with Warren Roster, who's our senior road technical editor as well in the past when, when Future Shock sort of first came. I was chatting about the difference between suspending the rider and suspending the bike. Um, and I chatted to the specialised engineer about this. And I have absolutely no idea what he said. i completely forgotten his entire points. <laughs> but it was really interesting. I didn't <laughs> really good chat with him. <laughs> I, really? he, 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 I, I asked him to justify it because the, the difference between suspending the ride and suspending the frame is relatively significant, certainly in, in the world mm. of off-road. But on the road, he claimed that it didn't really matter.
0: I think in my experience, I've ridden both the Diverge and the Roubaix, and I didn't love the Roubaix, but the Diverge, which is a more all-round, gravelly, do-all bike, it makes more sense there, and it it makes an appreciable difference to fatigue at the end of the day. But, I mean... Have you ridden the Lauf? Yes, I have actually ridden the Lauf. I did the Roubaix Sportive on it. Uh, I really liked it a lot. Yeah, of course, yeah. I really, really liked that a lot, and I guess if I was to compare the two, I think the Lauf was definitely a, a far better solution because... I mean, Roubaix is a unique example, but it's a really, really rough day out. Yeah. And uh, it does a, a, a serious job of mm-hmm. damping those horrible big hits.
2: But I suppose Specialized would say that by suspending the rider and not the frame, you still have a stiff chassis for pedalling through.
1: That was possibly one so of the things. So the so bottom, bottom
2: bracket is connected directly to the axles via a rigid chassis it's just the rider that's suspended so i guess when you're hammering on the pedals with a lauf i've never ridden one but imagine you get a bit of pedal bob yeah it'll bounce up and down whereas if you're if you're putting all that power through the pedals on a on a a, a rubé or a diverge in theory you won't get as much pedal bob because the frame is still
1: yeah you, you get the pedal bob from the arms pumping but not from the legs maybe. yeah yeah That was possibly, yeah, you could be a specialized engineer, Seb.
0: (laughs) I think, I really think that we just perhaps need to be more imaginative and think about what tech will look like in five or 10 Mm. years' time. And I really believe that even if it's micro suspension or some kind of more inbuilt suspension system, I think it is coming from. Yeah.
1: I think most brands do have little bits. And what sort of always struck me a little bit looking at road bikes slightly from the outside, is that, obviously, mountain bikes, if you've got only one bit of suspension, it's the fork. You never have a suspended frame with a rigid fork. Mm. A mate of mine, when we were, like, eight or nine, had a weird Y-shaped full-suspension bike with a rigid fork, but that was crap. But on the road bikes, a lot of the ones I've seen, you know, you've got Pinarello with that little little shock. Villier have got something similar with, like, a, a pivoted, elastomer-controlled little suspension. A lot of the suspension on those is at the rear. And it seems that... Is this designed to keep the rider's bum... Comfy over long days to reduce fatigue, whereas on the front, on a fork, it's for control and for comfort
0: like that. I think it's probably the latter. Mark, or I think it's probably the former. Mm-hmm. Marketing towards people's fears about having a sore bum on mm-hmm. a road bike has proven time and again to uh, be a very at, successful. At the punter player. level. At the punter level. Yeah. At the, uh, the, the Rockstar Pro level, mm-hmm. I think it's perhaps more about, on the example of Roubaix, about rear wheel traction, which is... Appreciable. That was Pinarello's kind of take on it. Um, that was a fully automated system as well, mm-hmm. which is again, that's a step ahead from anybody else mm-hmm. apart from, I guess, Live Valve. Mm. Was, but, yeah. But you know, with yeah, with the rear suspension thing, it's, it's a good point. Um, I think it's more marketing towards people's fears, though, because at the pro level of the sport, they'd probably all rather be riding rigid. Coffin like 23 mil tired go fast hate wagons because they're easy to live with. Mm-hmm. You know, pros are pretty resistant to change in tech, and really it's the punter level like us here that uh, they're trying to appeal to. But I mean,
2: I've seen it marketed as being faster. I mean, specialized, I'm sorry to keep using specialized as the example, but they're pushing pretty hard mm-hmm. with the marketing as like smoother is faster.
0: Um, yeah. Suspension losses but, in the rider itself is something that's, you know, it's much harder to quantify, but it's appreciable. And when it comes to things like wider tires and reducing basically vibrations through your body and the loss mm. in energy that causes and fatigue. Yeah, I mean, there's probably truth to that. Yeah, I
2: mean, a lot of people have 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 done studies to suggest, and we can put some of these links in the description possibly, that um, having a smoother ride with a bigger tire for example, at a lower pressure will give you basically less rolling impedance so you can go faster for a given power output. Um, so it's, it seems strange to me that the, the pro riders seem resistant to that, even in something like the Paris-Roubaix where a lot of it is on very rough terrain and they seem resistant to go above sort of maybe 28 mil tyres. It, it seems to me that is there not a case for it being faster to have a bigger tyre and, and some kind of suspension?
1: probably there's got to be a trade-off at some point between a wider bigger tire is going to weigh more and
0: it's going to weigh more and it's also going to be less aerodynamic yeah so and there's got to be that balancing point between it right but for the everyday rider uh you know it's coming for sure How about those WTb 650b 47 mil wide things we should all just ride on those yeah I mean if you want to not feel the road at all yes that's definitely the way to be doing it it goes briefly back to the the Discussion about the Lugano Charter and the idea that technology is subordinate to the project itself, and you know there is a point with road tech, and I'm sure some people who are listening will be th- looking on in horror that me of the cycling media elite are beckoning the uh, the arrival of suspension to road bikes. But there is probably an argument to be had there that you know are we are we diluting the purity of the sport and all that makes it good?
1: I mean, you talked earlier on and said that uh, you wouldn't buy a car without suspension. And I sort of thought about that, and I was like, well, yeah, but the car's got a motor. It's a different thing. It's built for comfort. But then Formula One, right, they ride on, drive on, like, the smoothest of most manicured surfaces, and they are designed to go as, you know, like, a, your your Venge is effectively the F1 car of the road bike world.
0: Another nice specialised reference there. So they are I'm really doing deal. well out of this. What are
1: the fast road bikes, are Madone. There? Let's go for Madone. The Madone. <laughs> <laughs> it's effectively like or the the Pinarello F10 is that one yeah Yep. yeah that'll do that's it. basically an F1 bicycle yeah. for you know and F1 cars have suspension so there must be some credence in the fact that suspension makes you go faster and helps you go faster if F1 cars are doing
0: it you or do it on bikes or if you know motorbikes are doing it as well <laughs> if motorbikes, you want it because someone's yeah. going to go well a bicycle is not a car. Uh, motorbikes they are definitely faster with suspension
1: yeah so i think we've fixed the world of road bike in there haven't we let's
0: just put i mean just put slicks on a on on an orange five
1: and you're laughing (laughs) easier way (laughs) yeah an orange three three two (laughs) yeah next year's tdf you've seen it here first heard it here first um speaking of marketing another classic segue instagram Strava. Strava, you're doing something interesting with Strava coming up on Bike Radar very soon, aren't you,
0: Jack? Yes, I am. I have compiled a list of all of the very best pros to follow in Strava this Tour de France. Now, there might be a number of reasons to do this. You may want to compare your times Mm -hmm. to them, should you have ridden some classic segments of the Tour. But my personal favourite is looking at things like their power data, though some riders are not particularly fond of sharing that. But those that do, ogling at their power data is a truly truly great way to make you feel completely inadequate. It is remarkable the effort that these people will be putting out on the tour. So yes, I'm compiling the best people to follow through the Tour de France. And alongside Strava, we're looking at our favourite social media platform, Instagram. Everyone in this room loves an Instabanger. And pro cycling, though not the most fruitful, can be a very entertaining way to keep in touch with Or keep in the loop with what pro cyclists are doing. But Before I get on to those that I think are worth uh, following, we had a discussion before this about the kind of part that social media plays now in cycling marketing. And uh, yeah, you had some interesting thoughts on that from a mountain bike perspective. I mean, yeah, I'll say interesting. (laughs) It's all relative, isn't it? Well, you know, we're talking about suspension on road bikes. (laughs) If they stayed, if they stuck on this long, then they're, you know. Yeah, (laughs) well done you. Yeah, I think it's interesting. That, so if
1: we look at like, the world of downhill, like, a lot of the downhillers, they do a lot of social media, right? And a lot of them are big names. Um, one thing I noticed, I was watching a YouTube video on the Bike Gradar YouTube channel, um, which you can follow by searching BikeGradar on YouTube. It's a great video about Felix on there. I enjoyed it. Um, but the, the advert before that was um, Brandon Fairclough, he's got this sort of branding death grip sort of thing going on. You've got a pair of grips called Death Grip, whatever. Real nice pair of grips. Brendan isn't the best racer in the world. I can't remember. He, he, he'll top ten occasionally a few years ago, but he's, he's not is yeah. set in the world alike with his race results. But he is possibly one of the most marketable mountain bikers in the world because he's got an incredible eye for amazing like locations. He's an incredible rider when it comes to you know, the massive jumps, whether it's Dark Fest or... He is loose as anything. Like before you watch a YouTube video, you always get an advert, right? Which nobody ever watches. You wait till the skip advert button comes up and you press it. Please
0: don't
1: do that. I'd like our YouTube channel. Oh yeah, we need the ad revenue. Mm -hmm. Keep watching all those adverts, especially this Brendan. And I watched a whole minute long advert for a pair of bloody grips, because all it was was Brendan riding flat out fast through a load of dusty conditions, and it was mint. You could put that in in like Earth Five. You know, it would go into a proper mountain bike. Film. It was so cool, and that's why, like all these mountain bikers, you know, th- their personalities as much as races these days. I think, and that you know, and there's a number of them who have probably made their name through social media, through films, as opposed to their race results. Whereas I feel on the road side of things, if you're coming 53rd in the Tour de France, never heard of him, unless you're getting a green, a polka dot, or a yellow, or a white jersey, or whatever it is.
0: Well done. <laughs>
1: I know. I watch Tour de France. You're not going to know who, who these people are.
0: It's very true. There, there's a few example, a few exceptions to that rule, and they are very entertaining follows, and you know they're very much making a career or a, a splash by, through their social media pre- presence. But on the mountain bike side of things, I, I completely agree. I think race results, certainly within your enduro downhill world, are almost secondary to people's presence online. I've got two theories about that, which I've just made up in my head. Go for it.
1: One, mountain biking is quite, a inverted commas, cool sport, right? Yeah. And a lot of mountain bikers, they're pretty cool guys and girls. You know, they're pretty rad. Two, on the on the road bike side of things, if, if you're a mountain biker and you're not doing very well, you might lose your sponsorship deal because it's an individual sport, mountain biking.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: On the road side of things, if you're a domestique, you are working for that real star so maybe you don't need to present yourself and maybe you don't need to build this brand around you in order to keep your job keep your income coming because your job is to work for that Sagan or the uh, name another roadside road cyclist who's really famous TJ van Gardner I've heard of him yeah you know whereas on the mountain bike side of things you know like if, if you're your race result if you come in 33rd in, in Andorra it's not going to help anyone else
0: in your team so you have to build that brand to keep yourself relevant. Yeah, I think that's a very, very fair point. Mm. What about you, Seb? What do you enjoy about Instagram and following? Are you influenced?
1: Or are you an influencer? Seb? Stop on bikes.
2: I'm heavily influenced by Jack, but <laughs> that's, that's by the by. Um, yeah, it's not really my thing, to be honest. Um, I like the racers that do well at races. I think that's the main thing. Um, LAUGHTER
0: <laughs> I think that probably... That definitely reflects Sebastian's uh, kind of personality (laughs) as a whole. When we were talking about mountain bikes looking uh, different, I imagine Seb sees bikes much like the Matrix, but it's just a collection of different pivot points and (laughs) and, angles. and and coefficients (laughs) of friction. Doesn't see tubes, just sees points of reference, (laughs) or whatever you would say. (laughs)
2: Thanks, Jack. That paints me in a really good light. Um, (laughs) I'm glad you see me in such interesting... (laughs) <laughs> as a uh, robot <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly yeah um yeah i mean it's the modern economy isn't it it's it's um these people are paid in order to sell more stuff mm. you know more sell more bikes sell more forks sell more energy drinks whatever else it is and you know you can't really do that by coming 11th an Enduro World Series, even though coming at eleventh at an EWS Enduro World Series is an incredible achievement, mm. really doesn't get you much attention. Um, maybe if you're Sam Hill and you're coming, you know, second, and you're an absolute legend of the sport, you know, that's all you need to do. But for most people, you could be one of the best riders in the world, and you know, sponsors aren't interested because there's not many photos of you or videos of you in in all the coverage. Um, unless, unless you, you make that, you make that coverage yourself, you know, that's what Instagram is. It's, it's a DIY, um, coverage DIY. It's, you know, it's personal media, isn't it? So you, you have to get that advertising. You have to make yourself a billboard, um, yourself, uh, nowadays.
0: With all of that in mind, do you want to quick fire name some of your favorite mountain bike IG accounts?
2: I'll go ahead. I've actually written a list,
1: did some, did some research. I mean, obviously, my most favouritest of Instagram accounts is the Bike Radar account.
0: Oh, I mean, it's just sensational.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so if you don't follow Bike Radar on Instagram, you you really should. Um Wynn Masters is obviously like a, a, a real personality. He, you know, he's almost building his brand now on his on his media side, so he's always worth a follow. Um, Cecile Ravenel, one of the greatest all-time female mountain bikers... Um, she's got some real cool stuff going on on her Instagram account obviously linked to Common Soul. KLC Grave mm-hmm. you know him and Cade Edwards uh, sort of do some pretty mad things on bikes and I, I, I follow him and then obviously we mentioned Brendog uh, Ollie Wilkins who's a good friend of his um, and obviously uh, they put some real, real cool fun things to look out of other one I, I quite like Squids on Tour Oh yes, that's a classic. So if yeah. you don't know what a squid is, uh, you should probably consume more mountain bike media. But it's basically or follow us
2: on Instagram, then you'll find <laughs> out exactly what a squid is.
1: Squids is basically uh, the, the self-given term to the mountain bike uh, World Cup following media. Um, that's a Sven, uh, and Mad Dog Boris. Um, they're also worth following, um, but they do some funny things on there. Ben Cathro, really good um, race analysis. Really big fan of his. Oh, and also, oh, he's also Scottish.
2: He is also Scottish um, and an absolute gent. Yeah, he's on the Scottish mountain bike, his WhatsApp group, isn't he, Jack? Well, yeah, us and
0: the other four. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Joe Barnes. <laughs> uh, and then the other last two I'll mention, uh, loose Doug Lewis is his Instagram handle. Um, so he's, you know, someone who doesn't race, um, but is incredibly, hash- you know, famous, I guess.
0: You don't say hashtag famous. I almost
1: <laughs> said hashtag famous, but I... I didn't say hashtag. And then, Jan Bradley, another one who maybe doesn't get the best results in the world, but has some of the best social media accounts on the internet. Jan Bradley, mm. Real cool guy.
0: This is a man that likes Instagram.
1: Spend mm. literally hours of my week on Instagram.
0: Seb, any highlights for you? I
2: think you said all the ones I was going to say. Yeah. Um, we should have compared notes before this. <laughs> yeah. Shit mountain bikers wear. That's a good one. Oh, yeah. It's um, basically being quite mean about people who don't look that... Is that like pro kit wankers? Uh, I'm not sure. That's but it, it's basically being well. mean about people who aren't bedecked in the the finest Troy Lee kit. Mm-hmm. And maybe have lycra with knee pads. <laughs> which, Savage. of course, is hilarious. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I, that that's my main. That's probably my cool. favorite. Oh, Amory Piron as well. He's uh, yeah, really yeah. he's really funny. He's
1: the best interviewee
2: ever. Yeah. Yeah, really. Oh
1: my god. I a...
2: I can't do it cuz would be racist. No, no, that's really. Outside. good. Yeah, I think it's, it's like he was in the room. Yeah. Um yeah. Another one who's both really successful at racing and has, you know, the social media to back it up.
0: Great. Well, from the roadside is not quite as rich pickings, I'm going to be honest. But nonetheless, there are some that are definitely worth following. Lachlan Morton of EF Education First is actually not racing this year's tour, but he has just finished the GB Juro, which is, uh, it was in the inaugural edition this year, and it's a Land's End to John O'Groats ride, but it's entirely off road. <laughs> and it was long. And he actually won it in sensational style, mm-hmm. which really proved the point that pro cyclists. They're quite fit, aren't they? They're quite fit, quite fast. Mm. He was about four days ahead of the next... A mere four days. What other sport can you win by four days? (laughs) (laughs) Test match cricket. (laughs) 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 He's really worth following on both Strava and Instagram. Mm -hmm. He's he's quite low-key on Instagram, but entertaining. And his Strava, he puts out some crazy numbers. Really worth following. Taylor Finney, sticking with Education First... They're arguably the most Instagram-savvy team going. They're doing some really cool stuff this year, actually, where they're, as well as their kind of classic road racing calendar, they've done things like the Derry Kanza. That, yeah. Obviously, that GB Juro, they're kind of branching out. And it makes for a really good follow with them as a team, but also the individuals. And Finney, who's been at it for years now, he's pretty funny on the old IGs. He comes hmm. out with some good stuff. He has quit Strava, though. Way back in 2017, he seems to have stopped posting which I think is because they get quite a lot of abuse pro cyclists on Strava, putting things like their numbers up. Who would have thought it? Greg Van Avermat, though, um, he has been a patchy uploader in years gone past, but is a committed Strava dork now. And if you really, really want to feel inadequate, check out his numbers from some of his bigger events. Pretty, pretty brutal. But my absolute favourites, and I love Instagram. I'm a big fan of it because I get to see all the nice things my friends get up to, particularly Seb and Tom. But I like to think that cycling is a sport, and I'm sure other sports are too, but it looks at itself in all too serious a lens. And that might be up your street, but I personally quite enjoy any chance to poke fun at the silly industry we all enjoy. And Catch3 memes and FeedZone News are top of the list for me. And it is this really, really good cycling meme account, which sounds just as bad as it is, that pokes fun and examines every single aspect of amateur road racing, and it is my top two follows.
1: Can we give a shout out as well though to Bicycle Pubes.
0: Oh, Bicycle Pubes is another classic. He he kind of delves more into the niche side of the sport, and uh, it's equally entertaining. Pretty savage at times. Pretty savage. Very not PG. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. The, the 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 only one I wanted to mention, and I can't remember the name of it. Another useful addition from me. Mm-hmm. YouTube. There's some old former pro cyclist who does. Big climbs with current pro cyclists on fixie bikes.
0: Oh, that's um, state bike codes, at, uh, just riding up hills with pros, or there riding fixed with pros. It's really good. They did it t- is really good. It's very, very entertaining, and they get up to some very entertaining extracurricular activity. Mm. Lots of substance, substance abuse on fixies. Very substance ins-
1: abuse, that's legal in America, can we just point that out? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Very good fun.
1: Um, we'll put a link to that channel in the Associated Bike Radar article. Yeah, there we go. I think that's probably a good place to wrap it up, isn't it?
0: Mm -hmm. And also, I'm sweatier than any of these cyclists will be at the Tour de France in this incredibly hot studio, so that would be lovely, thank you. (laughs) We're done, we're done. I
1: hope you enjoyed uh, that latest Bike Radar podcast. All the links that you need will be in the associated Bike Radar article on BikeRadar.com. Don't forget to check out our social media accounts, Bike Radar on Instagram MBUK Magazine on Instagram how did we forget to mention them and Cycling Plus if you want to see pictures of Warren's latest test bike Uh, Jacques Luke on Instagram (laughs) Seb Stott on bikes Tom Marvin 1 don't follow me I've got post shit food pictures and it's not very good Um, but don't forget subscribe to the Bike Radar podcast Uh, let us know if you've got any comments uh, and share any other social media bits and pieces that you think are really good Um, we would love to see them and if you've got any ideas of things we could talk about in the future, please let us know because we are scraping barrels right now. <laughs> and, uh, <yeah. laughs> Thanks very so much. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on
2: cycling, check out bikeradar.com.